You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, visit sojournmontrose.org. I was saying, I don't know if any of you have, have ever had a situation with either a family, uh, a family member or a friend um, that you've tried to subtly coach or teach subtly, um, maybe bringing something up that you know uh, they need to hear. Um, and so you try to find a way to bring it up subtly um, to maybe not come down harshly on them. Um, so I, I did that recently with my brother, right? One of my brothers just got a car, and he's a new driver. Uh, and I don't know how that happened at the, around the same time. He's a new driver, and he got a car. But anyway, he took me to lunch, and so I, I went with him, right? Um, and I thought I was going to see Jesus face-to-face that day. Um, and so on my way to... Lunch with him, I was already trying to think of ways to bring up like all these teaching points and all these, uh, these things I wanted to share with him so that he doesn't kill himself or kill me as well on our way back home. Um, and so the way I did it on our way back, I, I uh, brought up some, some stories of when I first started driving. Um, and in the midst of that, I, I added some teaching points here and there, some little nuggets of truth uh, to hopefully get his attention and, and see where I was going. And then eventually, uh, you know, it, we jumped into a full-blown discussion of how he almost killed us. Um, but I did this so that I didn't come off harshly to him, right? And so Paul, in a very similar way, does that with the Colossians in the beginning of this letter. Uh, there's some, some serious things going on uh, in the Colossian church. And so as he, as he writes uh, this letter to the Colossians, he starts with a greeting. He starts with a thanksgiving of the Colossians to God uh, and a prayer, right? And even in the midst of this, this thanksgiving and prayer, he's already inserting little nuggets of truth and teaching points that really will be an introduction to the meat of this letter in the rest of the, of, of this letter, of the rest of the book. And so, I'm not at all looking to, to go line by line in this text, but I want to extract the main point of this text and the main theme that I believe Paul wanted to communicate to the Colossians, even in his prayer and even of, in his encouragement to them uh, through, through giving God thanksgiving and see how that changes the way we see God uh, or the way we live. And so to give you some context before we jump into this passage I believe it's pivotal because of the specific situation going on in the Colossian church. And so uh, Colossae was a small city. It was once a powerful city. Uh, But during this time, it it was a pretty insignificant city. Uh, Some would say that it was on the brink of extinction. So pretty small Gentile city. Um, And around around the time of Paul's third missionary uh, trip, to, uh, which was in Ephesus, something great was happening there. He was preaching and boldly proclaiming and the, uh, the, the word of the gospel to people. And people were traveling from outside of Ephesus to come hear Paul preach. And one of those men was Epaphras from Colossae. Traveled to Ephesus, heard the gospel, believed it, went back to Colossae, and then preached the gospel in Colossae. It was revival. And out of that, he planted this church. So then he goes back to Ephesus to give reports to Paul of how the Colossian church is doing. And it's a, it's a great 
a praise report of, of, of the faith and of the love that, that, that the Colossians are expressing because the gospel has taken root in their heart. But in the midst of that, in the midst of that, he also gives a sobering report of some false teachers that were creeping into the Colossian church. And they, these, were, these were Jewish people, these were Judaizers, and, and most of us know uh, about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but in that time there was also a third sect known as the, uh, uh, the Essenes. All right, and these people were, um, were dedicated towards a life of uh, aestheticism, so self-denial, strict self-observance of laws and regulations and, uh, and rules, and uh, so much so uh, that they thought emotions were, were sinful and of the flesh. And so you begin to see the, the beginning roots of what later became Gnosticism. So these, these men were, were, were Judaizers coming in with these vain philosophies um, and also trying to impose on the Colossian church rules and regulations and some of the laws from, from the Torah, from the Jewish law, back on the Christians. And the way that the Colossian church was responding to that was a cause for concern for Epaphras and for Paul. They weren't full-blown full um, into, this, into this teaching. They hadn't forsaken the faith. They hadn't totally mixed in uh, these false teachings. But it was, there was a sense in which um, there was a concern because it was, there was the beginnings of a, at least a struggle and a wrestle of doubt within the Colossians. So Paul uh, writes this letter and pens it with this in mind. And he inserts nuggets of doctrinal truth that directly combats specific doctrines that these Judaizers were teaching. And so the text this morning is not a prescriptive text. We're not going to go through a text in which Paul lays out some theological truth and calls us to obey it and apply it to us. It's an introduction, right? It's a thanksgiving and a prayer. But my hope is to, like I said, extract a truth that we can find here and see how that changes the way we live. As I was studying this, this text and trying to, to, to see uh, what was the main theme or purpose for which Paul inserted these doctrinal truths within his thanksgiving and prayer, I came, I came to this, that, that if, if Paul would, were to want us to get anything out of this text, it would be this, that the Holy Spirit's empowerment through the word of the gospel is sufficient to equip God's church for the Christian life. I'll repeat it again if you're taking notes, that the Holy Spirit's empowerment through the word of the gospel is sufficient to equip God's church for the Christian life. And this, of course, is meant to be, to be lived in the context of community. Now, I really have this one main point, but for the sake of keeping us on track, uh, I've broken it down into three. Number one being a gospel hope, two, gospel fruit, three, gospel strength. And so let's read verses three through eight again uh, for our first point, gospel hope. I'll read it for you. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope 
laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So with the idea in mind that Paul is sliding in some subtle teaching points, as I, as I stated in, in the illustration in the beginning, Paul states that it was the hope laid up for them in heaven that produced this faith in Christ and the love for the saints. So right off the bat, he's attributing their faith and their love to the hope that he later then says is found in the truth, the gospel. This hope is the hope that was, that was given by the gospel that they clung to as if it were an anchor of their soul, which then produced this faith and love for God's people. And Paul, taking every opportunity to teach, indirectly teaches the Colossians something that directly combats and is in contrast to what the Judaizers were teaching. And essentially what the Judaizers were teaching was that Christ and his person and work was not sufficient for salvation and for the Christian life. When you, when you dumb it down to that, it, it, that, at the end of the day, that's what the Judaizers were teaching. They were teaching either a, a gospel plus works equals salvation theology or a gospel plus extra knowledge not found in the word of the gospel that produces salvation. So they were adding to the sufficiency of Christ and making Jesus not enough. And so Paul, with these things in mind, tells them that, that the hope that they took hold of came through the preaching of the gospel. Let me read that again for us. He says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So as he is reminding the Colossians, hey, this love that you have, this, this faith in Christ, man, I thank God for it often. Every time I pray for you, I thank God because the gospel's taking root and because the hope that you took hold of is what's producing it. And, and by the way, this gospel that you took hold of, by the way, it's increasing in its reach all over the world. It's turning the world upside down. It's bearing fruit all over the world. As if uh, Paul was, was almost reminding the Colossians to take a step back and look at a, a bigger picture and be reminded of the gospel's power and sufficiency in their life. Reminding them, hey, the same way that this gospel is taking root in your life, the same way that this gospel has produced 
faith and love in you, it's doing the same thing all over the world. It's spreading like wildfire. So he's reminding them time and time again through his thanksgiving. And he also reminds them of how they came to know Christ. As he was saying that it was the gospel that they heard and then they understood the grace of God in truth, the grace of God found in the gospel when Epaphras shared it with them. So even in the beginning verses, he, through thanksgiving, is reminding them, hey, all of this is from God. God has done all of this in you and through you. You've done nothing to contribute. And let us also be reminded this morning us as believers, those who have committed their life to Christ and are followers of Jesus today, that in the same way, someone one day took that step to share the gospel of grace with us. And when we were once lost and dead in our own sin, in love with the ways of this world, and someone took that step, shared Jesus with us, God in his grace opened up our understanding to, under, to, to see the beauty of this grace that he offers. And we took hold of the hope that the gospel offers. And you began to see a change in your life. You began to see that now you love others in a way that you never did before. It wasn't because he turned the corner. It wasn't because you were smarter than the guy next to you that didn't believe. It was only because of the grace of God that was given to you. A brother of, of mine um, of us at Sojourn Heights, really, that the Lord has saved. Um, I love what he says. He, he puts it plain and simple. Uh, he's from the hood, and he says, the finished work of the cross is where it's at. That's what he says. And it sounds so simple, and people chuckle, but man, how often do we forget that? How often do we forget that Christ alone and his work is all we need for a life of godliness and for our salvation? It produces fruit in us for then the world to see. And with that, we go to our second point, gospel fruit. Let me read verses 9 and 10 for you. It says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing and the knowledge of God. After Paul tells the Colossians that he gives thanks for them, then he, he moves into sharing how he prays for them. And he gives them specific ways in which he always prays for their faith and their walk. And he uses some key words. There were some buzzwords that I know that, um, that they were familiar with because the Judaizers were also trying to use these same words to lure them away. And Paul subtly, like I did with my brother, right, subtly is inserting these words that were, and, and the light switch was coming on in their minds. He says that he prays that they be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. These teachers, these Essene Judaizers were spreading this, this false teaching that said, that they needed this kind of knowledge that the Essenes possessed to be, to be f like uh, fully 
following God. Like you could, you could be saved through Jesus and, and that's great, but you also need all of this extra. And so one particular example that stands out when I was reading the history of the Colossians, they were big into worshiping angels. And they were worshiping angels because they believed that if they, they swore their allegiance to the angels, then the angels would protect them from the demonic forces of darkness that were in the heavenlies. I've even found uh, artifacts like a necklace that had all the names of the angels that they prayed to, not, not the Colossians, but the Essenes, and with a prayer asking for protection from the demonic forces. And what does that do to the gospel? What was that doing to the gospel back then? It was telling them, you need Jesus for salvation, but you need worship of angels for protection. So they were adding, once again, adding to the gospel knowledge, wisdom, and understanding that was not I was not of the Lord. And Paul asks, asks God for a different kind of knowledge and wisdom and understanding so that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And so these Essenes were seen as some pretty uh, well-respected intellectual folk. And so in them coming in, I can almost imagine, um, it's like if, if an, an intellectual from Montrose walks in and some new believers, and they begin to kind of lure them away into saying, well, well you, need to, you, need to, you need to believe in this and that additionally to the gospel. That's kind of what was happening here. These men were very intellectual. And so imagine some of these Gentiles that have always been seen as outside of the people of God having some Judaizers come in and say, hey, hey but let me, let me let you in on some secret knowledge, which is how every sect and every cult and every false religion starts. There's some secret knowledge that they want to clue you in on, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons. This is what they do, and it puffs up the pride of humanity. And so this is what they were also attempting to do. But Paul says that I pray for you, knowledge of his will, spiritual wisdom and understanding, for one purpose only, not to be puffed up, not so you can show others how much you know, but so that you would grow in holiness. So you would grow in holiness, fully pleasing to the Lord, bearing fruit as you go along your daily life, and increasing in knowledge, yes, in knowledge of Him, in knowledge of God. And though, though Paul never references in Colossians any scripture from the Old Testament, we can see traces of it as he prays to God that he would fill the Colossians with knowledge and wisdom and understanding. Uh, it, it almost alludes to Proverbs 9.10 when it says, that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, and the knowledge of God is insight. In Jeremiah 9.23 and 24, it says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in, in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And though the Old Testament, as I said, is never explicitly mentioned, you can see and we can know that the scripture says that true wisdom is in fearing, in fearing the Lord. There's a problem, though, with that. 
Right? There's a problem as we talk about being a people who walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, people who are bearing fruit in every good work, increasing always in the knowledge of Him. There's a problem. And we know, and I even know as I'm preaching this, that I've failed to meet that mark. And we've all failed to meet that mark. To be always fully pleasing to the Lord. But there is one who, who hasn't failed and who never failed while he walked this earth. He was fully pleasing to the Lord at all times. He was always bearing good fruit. And he knew all things about God. He was God himself, but did not cling to his Godness, his divinity. But he emptied himself and became obedient to death, even to death on a cross. So he fully obeyed. He was fully pleasing in the sight of the Father. And because of that, because of that, we know that, that he can give us the strength. And as we pray, we know we can pray to one who's already gone before us and has fulfilled this. We, if we're honest with ourselves, we, even in our day and age, that, that preaches this inconsistent form of toler- tolerance that says that you have to accept everything that I believe or you're considered intolerant, which is inconsistent. And they see Christians as, as ignorant, as bigots, as archaic, as old-fashioned or out-of-date, irrelevant to our current culture. It could be very easy for us as well, like the Colossians, to add to the gospel. And I would say for us, it would be adding wisdom or adding knowledge that is not of the Lord, that is not found in his scripture. And it doesn't mean that we don't strive to know and listen to other people. If, if anything, God calls us to a higher standard than tolerance. He calls us to lay our life down. He calls us to love our enemy. He calls us to pray for those who persecute us, not just to simply tolerate someone, but to invite them into our life, into our home, to befriend those who are radically different from us. But we can, we can fall into a, a subtle form of gospel plus knowledge or gospel plus works when we're in a in a crowd of a lot of people that, that we love dearly or, or, or um, want approval of, and we know are antagonistic towards certain truths found in Scripture, and we, and, we all, and we take a step back in sharing the hope of the gospel, even at times become uh, closet Christians in some circles, as if to believe that the gospel itself is not powerful enough to change them like like it did us. We fail, but God succeeded where we failed. And with this we go to point three, gospel strength. Let me read verses 11 through 14 for you. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have 
redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul indirectly reminds the Colossians and, and us this morning by extension, oh, we can't, can't do anything apart from Him enabling us. If left to our own devices, we will always in fear and in shame take steps back from being a witness for, for the Lord. And so Paul at the end, really, and then right after, he, he tells the Colossians that he is always asking that the Father fill them with knowledge, wisdom, and understanding to, to walk in a way that's pleasing to God, lifts up a prayer for them and saying, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And he's doing something here. He's, he's emphasizing on God's power. Um, I'll save you all the intricacies of going back to the Greek, but basically, if you go back to the Greek, it could say something like, may you be empowered with all power according to his glorious power. He's repeating this, this idea of God's power being essential. And then he says, for what? Why, why does he ask this? So that they can endure and be patient with joy. So as he asks God to give them the ability or the, the knowledge and the wisdom of his will to, to walk in a way that pleases him, bearing good fruit, Paul reminds them through his prayer and he says, God, fill them with the power according to your power for all endurance and patience with joy. And I'm going to park on the with joy for a few minutes because the Essene Judaizers, as I said before, were, 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 were living a life of aestheticism, right? They were kind of like, they were Stoics. They, they, they obeyed all these rigid regulations and rules and even believed that emotions were, were evil. So they may have seemed pious and very obedient and adherent to laws, but there was no joy. And so Paul, in stark contrast again, to the false teachings of the Judaizer says, man, I pray that God fills you with power to endure and be patient, but with joy. And joy is one of, is one of the things, if not the thing, that sets apart the Christian life from any other religion. That, that a believer or a, a family of believers can walk through suffering, endure suffering, trials, persecution with patience, all the while being refined by God so that to a watching world, they're joyful and patient in tribulation and that blows people's minds. And that's what Paul prays for the Colossians, that they would not just obey laws the way the Judaizers obey laws, that they would obey with joy. And Paul ends his prayer pointing the Colossians towards their position in Christ and once again uses this to teach them a truth that combats the Judaizers' teaching when he says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And later on in the letter, as you, if you go back and read it later, 
You'll see that even in Colossians 2, 18. I'll read it. He says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on aestheticism, worship of angels, etc. So in stark contrast to what the Judaizers were saying, to be qualified to be a true follower of God, you must adhere to these beliefs, or you must worship angels this way, or, or observe the Sabbath as strictly as we do. He says, no, no, no. You don't need to add to what Christ has already done for you because the Father has already qualified you. And so for us today, he would, he would, he would tell us, it's not after you get that, that next job or it's not after you find a spouse. It's not after you buy that next house that you will finally be content. He says, you've already been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You have all that you need in the person and the work of Jesus. And then reminds them of what Jesus has done. He says, he has transferred us. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's reminding them that this power that comes through the Spirit that is, that is given by the gospel, this power is the only way that they could then grow in the knowledge of God in a way that pleases God and that they bear fruit while they endure suffering and persecution with patience and joy full of thanksgiving. Why? Why are they full of thanksgiving? Why are they giving thanks in verse 12? Because they've been qualified by the Father already. Because Christ has redeemed them. Because Christ has forgiven their sins. That they have all that they need found in the person and the work of Jesus. And for us this morning, God wants to remind us as well. We may not have Judaizers in our local church. Church is. We definitely have a, a wicked and a deceitful heart that continually tells us that we need something more than just Jesus to be content. We need additional knowledge. And so our faith and love was not mustered up by us, but by the hope laid up for us in heaven that we heard through the gospel and took hold of when God granted us understanding of his grace. And it is in seeking of his will, his wisdom, and understanding that we find how to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, all while desperately seeking to be filled with his power so we can be enabled and equipped to live a godly life. The Holy Spirit's empowerment through the word of the gospel is sufficient to equip God's church for the Christian life. Let's pray. Father, apart from you, Lord, I am helpless and hopeless. We are helpless and hopeless. We thank you that the gospel has taken, is taken, and will take root in us here. But that is the reason why our life has changed, why we've grown 
And while we continue to produce fruit, it's not because we turn the corner, but it is because of the grace of God found in the gospel. Thank you for the power found in it through the Spirit. We pray that you would fill us with this power according to your glorious might so that we can display to a watching world joy in tribulation. Thank you for Christ, that in him we find all that we need, because in reality, he's all that we have. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.